You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Welcome in to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Happy Tuesday, August 17th, which makes it exactly one year since Fitz and I were reunited and back together as a show. That is right, Fitz. It's our second time, take two, Spain and Fitz, one year anniversary. Check, 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 one, two, one, two. Microphone check. Oh, hi, friends. It's Spain and Fitz. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. Oh, <laughs> we have started completely unprofessionally. <laughs> anniversary i love this show sarah spain she does that weird thing where she like randomly has a foreign accent sometimes like what do you think about it jason fitz he's not here he's not here I've seen him. you missed our anniversary i thought we were in like an open relationship uh-uh. yeah that's right first our anniversary of uh take two of spain and fitz and fitz is not even here Although, to be fair, I did miss day one of our reunited show last year on this day. So I guess we're even. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight. Although he might pop by later here on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guest going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And let's get into some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Courtney, you're going to have to do, uh, if I ask you to hold me, will you be offended? No, not at all. I'd be, I'd be honored. All right, I appreciate that. I also appreciate that you are coming to us live from a home with no power. So you've really set the mood. If you want to light some candles, uh, would really you know add to this whole anniversary vibe. I know. I think I've got at least three more hours without, like, with still with some daylight out. So hopefully, I won't be here <laughs> in the dark. But I'm happy that in honor that you invited me to come spend your anniversary with you. I, I. I sure you couldn't think of anybody else that you wanted to celebrate this momentous occasion (laughs) yeah never uh you're a perfect replacement for Fitz and won't won't miss a thing uh let's talk about the big news today we're gonna get into lots of NFL talk we've got some great stops at some training camps and a nod to the pot all sorts of good stuff and a game changer today we're chock full but first we got to start with the massive deal for Joel Embiid and Not a big surprise, although speaking of being kept in the dark, we still are as far as what the team around Joel Embiid is going to look like. It's no surprise that the Sixers wanted to shore up the guy who basically is the process for all of the lean, really ugly years that they went through. Joel Embiid is the biggest takeaway from that, and he signs a four-year $196 million Supermax extension, keeping him with the team through 2026-27, and now they could build around him uh, the question is, with whom? I think we had some sound from uh, Woj. Um, let me know if we've got that. That I, I, I think, yeah, we've got where he kind of breaks down that this isn't just an extension. This is a real act of faith that the new Joel Embiid, the healthy, I have a personal trainer and everything else, Joel Embiid is going to stay healthy for the team. Uh, Ryan, I think as Ramona Shelburne reported this morning, that the contract is fully guaranteed. Now, that's typical of an all-NBA-level player, but it wasn't in Joel Embiid's 2017 extension. That There were a lot of uh, benchmarks he had to reach before his deal became guaranteed because of his history of injuries. 
And so there were things like, you know, minutes played, games played, uh, where the team would have an out on the contract or could save money on the deal. None of those exist uh, in this new extension, uh, Ryan. And I think that speaks to his durability. The fact that uh, Joel Embiid has been extremely productive, extremely dominant, and has showed that the, the injuries, the significant injuries from early in his career, uh, don't concern the team enough anymore uh, to really to have played hardball with them on these contract negotiations. Courtney, does that worry you? Because I know that we've seen Embiid really dedicate himself, and he wants to win more than anybody. We've seen the tears and the frustration when his season comes to an end, but are you worried about the health? Yes and no. I mean, this is somebody who's missed 17-plus games in each of the past four seasons. And, yeah, the fact that his second max, supermax deal that he's gotten, a nine-figure deal, um, is fully guaranteed, no injury qualifiers, no games played incentives, just everything. I think that's really a vote of confidence and the faith that the 76ers have that this version of Joel Embiid that's not going to be an issue anymore. Um, you know, it's different from when, you know, he was drafted and he missed, you know, most of those first two seasons with the foot injury and then the back injuries. I guess maybe they believe that that's all behind him. And if you're going to invest that much money in him while still having this big outlier, you have not solved the biggest question mark, which is Ben Simmons. To me, that means that you have to go all in now on what you're putting around Joel Embiid to make him successful because of just how much you invested to keep him part of your franchise for the next five, six, seven seasons. Yeah, I mean, this, this to me, there's, there's no question about Embiid, even if it is rare to really build around a center, a true center. But the numbers that he's put up has made him a guy that you really believe can lead a team to a championship. He's only the fourth player over the last 25 seasons to average at least 28 points, 10 rebounds, and shoot 50% plus from the floor. Just Giannis, Anthony Davis, and Shaq. That's good company. He's also only one of five centers all time with a single-season player efficiency rating of 30 or better. He was second in the league last year only to Jokic. So this is a guy that you could build around, particularly if he can stay healthy. The question is, who will be with him on that team? And mm-hmm. is the combination of Embiid and Simmons one that you believe in? Tim Bontem, CSPN NBA writer, was on the jump today. And, man, I'm ready for this partnership to be blown up, but it sounds like unless they get exactly what they want, we could be seeing Simmons again. Here's Bontemps. If we know anything about Daryl Morey, we know that in a situation like this, he's not going to be afraid to have an uncomfortable situation, and he's not going to trade Ben Simmons for less than what he thinks he's worth. And by every account, what he's asking for in talks about Ben Simmons is a lot. Mm. So I think this situation is going to stay the way it is for now and probably have a good chance of going into the regular season to see how this shakes out. You might have heard Mike Golick Jr. talk about this right before us on Chene and Golick Jr. And as he said wisely, Sixers need to figure out a way to get everyone else high on Simmons. You got a clear ceiling based on his skill set. And so I can bet on two things. One, I can bet on him finally taking that next step and improving, which I'm sorry in Philadelphia, too much history. I'm not able to do. So the next step after that is, all right, well, how do we get him out of here? He can't go the James Harden route of tanking the beginning of the season to try and show his displeasure because you already have everyone looking at what he put on display in the playoffs and thinking this guy can't play. So you're right. The 76ers might be able to get Ben Simmons coming back and playing well to start the season, and that could be the catnip that gets someone else to bite. 
Yeah, Courtney, I mean, they got to figure that out because to me, the ceiling is regular season success, and I don't see them winning at all with Ben Simmons. I think we've tried it enough to say it's not it's not the thing. Yeah, and I think there's so, so much of that conversation that still revolves around how awkward of a fit that is, it was, and will continue to be. It doesn't feel like Daryl Morey. I mean, he's got a lot of bites at the apple he can take now by having him beat in the gold and maybe – you know, this signifies to free agents out there. Certainly, he's not going anywhere in, in the short term. You really want to consider, you know, half a decade plus more. Um, that's kind of a long-term thing. So, I, I wonder just now how when you have somebody who had the deficiencies of Ben Simmons' game, how do you remedy that while still trying to move him potentially? I mean, there's he's been the buzz for, what, the last six, seven, eight weeks? And nothing's happened. So how do they want to replace him? What can they put more around Joel Embiid? Maybe now that free agency is kind of drawn to a close, it doesn't happen right now, but there's certainly more years to come where they can continue to develop this roster. Yeah, it certainly sounds like what Gojo was talking about, getting him in there, having him play well early on in the season and then mid-season making that deal. Uh, but certainly a difficult task for Daryl Morey. Interesting, too. Used to build the teams around three-point shooters, now building around a center. He will adjust to the talent he's got. It's Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, the end of the road for a Heisman Trophy winner. Another NFL notes. It's Quickies next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. That's NFL news to get to today. People are angry about coaches not telling us who their preferred quarterback starter is right now. It's early, folks. We got time. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz out today on our anniversary of take two of Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Because we got so much to get to, we got to do it the only way we know how around here. It's Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. We're going to get out of this one extra fast because Mina Kimes is going to join us and really get down to the bottom of everything that happened with the Seahawks and Jamal Adams that eventually led up to today's four-year extension with maximum value of $72 million, making him the NFL's highest-paid safety. I know Mina's going to have a lot to say, but Courtney, you got anything on this? This was a journey. Yeah, and I mean, it was a three-week journey of a hold-in, which is now becoming the new thing we're seeing around the league where guys don't want to get penalized because of what the CBA entails, how those daily fines for missing training camp don't just magically go away. So you show up. You just don't do anything. TJ Watt's (laughs) doing it right now in Pittsburgh. So um, apparently that deal had some some work they that was the last and final offer so if he didn't take it I think it would be off the table and then we're looking at a potential franchise tag situation which could get ugly because he might want to be tagged as a linebacker just in terms of value so overall for one of the best safeties of this era he got a really good deal and now he's the highest paid I think it's worth it yeah just 25 years old was a first team all pro selection in 2019 has been a pro polar the last three seasons Set the single-season record for sacks by a DB last season uh, and has 21.5 career sacks. That's the most by a DB in his first four seasons since sacks became official in 82 and the most of any DB before his 30th birthday and, again, just 25. Mina Kimes, a very happy gal. So are all those Seahawks fans. So is Russell Wilson, who was really wanting that deal to get done. All right, next story. Quickies. 
It was sort of inevitable, especially after the attempted blocks went viral, but it's official. Urban Meyer and the Jags have cut Tim Tebow. Here's what Meyer said about the decision. Offensive players that, you know, two of the special teams phases are tackling. You know, tight end position is one of those, and tailback, if, if you can't contribute on special teams, that's a tough go. Is this the end of the road for Tim? NFL, professional football? I would guess it is. You know, we didn't get that deep with it. Obviously, he's his own man. Elite warrior, elite competitor, uh, but he's also 34 years old. Yep, 34 years old. A nice note from Tebow to Twitter said, thankful for the highs and even the lows, the opportunities and the setbacks. I've never wanted to make decisions out of fear of failure, and I'm grateful for the chance to have pursued a dream. Courtney, what I've always said about this is I've got no beef with Tebow wanting to leave it all out there. No regrets. Is there a chance I could keep playing professional sports? If it's not quarterback, maybe it's baseball. If it's not baseball, maybe it's tight end. It's more about the people that empower and enable and the opportunities that he had, maybe because of what he'd done before. Um, This was what I thought was going to happen to a guy who had never played the position ever, had been out of the sport for years, and again, like Urban Meyer said, is 34 years old. And the word that Urban Meyer kept uttering in that bit was special teams, that you have to be able to block and tackle on special teams. And I'm glad they didn't just make an exception to keep someone like Tim Tebow around as a veteran presence, maybe using him as somebody to help Trevor Lawrence come into his own. I don't know. I think it's great that they got this done at the first cuts because Mm -hmm. those were today, 4 p.m. Eastern, and they didn't let this thing fester on because there were going to be some questions if this happened again in the second preseason game where he whiffs on tackles and he just doesn't look like a tight end. So um, I just wonder what's next. He going to try basketball, hockey, (laughs) golf, tennis? Like, What's his next thing he's going to try to do? I think maybe just be a broadcaster. Thankfully for him, he's he's got plenty of experience there, and he's probably going to be okay. I did see some folks on social media saying, okay, let's put an end to the whole he outworks everybody. He's, you know, a legend, a, a, a warrior, as Urban Meyer said. Um, you know, I just, I, I think, I think uh, there's plenty of that to go around at, in the sport, and I don't know that he was needed for that reason with the Jags. They've got plenty of examples of that right in, right in camp, guys that have been playing for quite some time. It's NFL Quickies, Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Next story. Quickies. Yeah, we are getting a lot of people talking about QB battles. And Sal Palantonio was on KJ and Z this morning, positively livid that Nick Sirianni will not name Jalen Hurts the starting QB for the Eagles. Here's what he said. Nick Sirianni, for some reason, Key, I don't understand it, has not publicly said or refuses to publicly pronounce that Jalen Hurts is the Eagles starting quarterback. I don't get it. No one believes Sirianni, not the players, not the organization. Not the fans, nobody. Uh, to me, he's just perpetuating uh, this fiction, and to me, it only cuts into his own credibility. It's a misguided approach, in my opinion. And if you're asking me if there's any chance that Joe Flacco beats out a healthy Jalen Hurts, any chance, and I would say zero, period, full stop, next sentence, no way. You sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> Courtney, we've certainly heard not only that he's obviously beating out Flacco for the job, but our own Jordan Schultz tweeted out, there's a fast-growing sentiment among Eagles players that Jalen Hurts is undoubtedly the franchise QB. His work ethic, intangibles, overall skill level have captured the entire locker room. Players I've spoken with are consistently blown away by Hurts on and off the field. 
even if that's the case, and even if it's clear he's going to win the job, is it that big of a deal that Sirianni doesn't want to say it yet? I think that we need to stop doing the college approach in the NFL, right? I mean, he's not going as far as Urban Meyer with the comments and what he's saying and what he's not saying about the quarterbacks, but it's very obvious that Jalen Hurts is their best chance for success in Philadelphia, and that's why they drafted him. That's why they moved on from Carson Wentz. And, you know, the reporting that's out there is that he was the best quarterback in these joint practices the last couple days with the Patriots, better than Cam Newton and better than Mac Jones, outside of, you know, a little bit of a shaky 7-on-7 performance on Monday. All the news that we're hearing is that Jalen Hurts is the guy. So – I don't know. I'd never, I'll never understand like the the logic and in, in, you know the psychology behind not naming the guy the starter when you know he's your guy. To me, that creates cohesion. I don't understand it. But those are some pretty strong words from Sal Pal. I, I, I was kind of surprised by that. Mike Reese, a little bit less uh, um, um, angry with, with uh, Belichick about what's going down with the Patriots, but it's Cam versus Mac, and he talked about it with Mike Greenberg. Mac is coming on strong. And when the the Patriots drafted him, Bill Belichick was pretty decisive in saying, Cam's our quarterback. Um, Whatever time that Mac might be able to challenge and compete, we'll see how that goes. And I would say that Mac is challenging and competing, and he's making this potentially a harder decision for Bill Belichick than Bill might have anticipated at the time they drafted him. Greeny, like, I'll take you right out onto the practice field today. One of the final snaps for Mac Jones, they're doing red zone drill. It's play action. He, uh, you know, flared it off to the right flat to the tight end, Devin Asiasi, for a touchdown. It was really well done. Mac was fired up. He pumped his fist, and then he points back to Cam, and the two jump in the air in sort of celebration together. So, I mean, it's dialed up, the competition. I would say it's also a friendly competition in that they're both pushing each other. Yeah, it, it is a sort of friendly competition. That doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of questions. And, Courtney, so far we haven't heard of a surefire winner. What I'm hearing is that Bill Belichick really wants to give Cam a good shot to earn this job, that he knows Mac Jones is the future, but he thinks they're contenders this year. He loves the leadership from Cam, so that one will continue to be a battle, and I will continue to marvel over how their names are the same, just backwards. Mac and Cam, Cam and Mac. Coming up, Mina Kimes is going to celebrate the Jamal Adams deal and talk a bunch more. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Ah, yes. Some anniversary tunes for the one-year anniversary of Spain and Fitz take two. Of course, uh, Fitz not here. Courtney Cronin filling in for him on our anniversary here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. At least I can spend some special time with Friend of the show, show favorite, I believe the first ever guest of Half Friend, Mina Kimes, who's with us here. We had Mina Kimes coming on even before the announcement about Jamal Adams' deal, but look at that synergy, perfect timing. <laughs> Mina, just how excited were you to hear that this deal got done? You know, I'm mostly excited because it means we don't have to report every single change in uh I, negotiation strategy, shall I put it that way? You know, <laughs> oh, he's holding out for another, but he's holding in, but he's maybe wants the tag to be a different position. None of that. It's all over, which I appreciate. And, um, you know, it, it's not super surprising, Sarah, because when the Seahawks made this trade for Adams, it was sort of inevitable that they'd have to do a deal, given how much draft capital they gave up for him. Uh, but it did go on. I suppose the only surprising thing was that it took this long to get it done. 
And I think it came in at a number that both sides can feel good about. He's the highest paid safety in the NFL. He's not making more than Bobby Wagner, who's the highest, who, uh, you know, has been with Seattle for, gosh, a decade now almost, which is crazy. And I think they're going to get a lot out of him this season, hopefully more if he's healthy. Yeah, the five-year, $70 million contract, $38 million guaranteed. That was apparently the team's final offer. As you said, this thing went on for a while. Um, when you look at like what he is and just the traditional confines of the position that he doesn't fit into, um, I'm wondering, from your perspective, do you think that this dragged on this long because he's not a traditional safety and he was probably arguing that his pay should not have been within – the constraints of that market value at that position? You know, I think that's part of it. And I think it's also kind of, it, it was challenging one because of the safety market in general. It had been a, you know, the, the, him wanting the raise over Justin Simmons who, and a pretty significant raise over him, not just, you know, like a half a million more per year um, had to do with sort of the time that had elapsed since that contract. But it was, it's almost hard to evaluate, Jamal Adams like a safety you're right because of the pass rushing but also you know he hasn't he last year was a down year in coverage for him relative to how he's performed in the past so I think Seattle probably countered with that and I think ultimately the leverage he brought to the situation because of the trade also impacted um, the offer because he knew that Seattle was probably not going to want egg on their face and not getting a deal done at any point and they knew they had the leverage of the franchise tag, as all teams do. So, ultimately, you know, it probably dragged on a little bit long for all of those reasons. But I think they're both sides are just glad that it's done. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. We're talking to Mina Kimes on the Goodyear Hotline about all sorts of NFL stories. Happy about Jamal Adams. Frustrated as many of us are with what continues to leak out about the way the NFL is handling this Deshaun Watson case. Let me ask you a couple quick questions. If you could just give me a quick answer so I can get to some of this. Like, a lot of people are arguing on behalf of the commissioner's exempt list, but some have said that's really only used in the regular season so they can continue to get paid. They're they're getting paid right now for camp and preseason, so would that be something that could be in place if the NFL wanted to right now? Is that sort of excuse gone now that we've started camp and, and preseason? Yeah, I don't understand it at all, Sarah, because that list has been used. The other thing I've heard is like, well, it's only used for guys who have criminal charges um, and Deshaun is under investigation. Uh, But that's not true. There have been examples of players in the past, Josh Brown, the kicker, for example, Mm -hmm. um, where they just applied it as sort of a Band-Aid. That's what it is. It's a Band-Aid. It's a means for the NFL to say, hey, we're figuring this out, but we understand that people don't want to see this player on the field right now. I, I I have yet to hear a cogent explanation for why it's not been applied. And quick follow-up on that. You know, I know you reacted to the Jenny Vrentes story, talking about two of the women who are suing Deshaun Watson, sharing details of their interactions with him, and also their meeting with NFL investigators. And I could not believe, even as little faith as I have in the NFL, that someone would ask these women, what were you wearing? But she did. Lisa Friel asked them what they were wearing in addition to the NFL claiming to have interviewed a bunch of women, some of whom have not even been been called. Some of them are not the women filing complaints. Like, this feels like such a mess after all we've been through with the NFL in these kind of cases. Yeah, it's disappointing, and I think it, 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 you can't help but hear that and think, well, the incentives here are all screwed up, and 
uh, for everybody involved, including people talking about the story or not talking about it and, and talking about it in certain ways and focusing on the trade aspect of it. But I, I, what I thought was really notable about that question was those women contrasted it with how they were being interviewed by the police who were using the, you know, the correct protocols, frankly, for all of this. And it's just really disappointing to hear that um, the league hasn't figured the, out how to handle this correctly. Atlanta Falcons hit a big milestone uh, this week. They're 100% vaccinated. That is per the team. And we find out that the Las Vegas Raiders are going to be the second team in the NFL that will require proof of vaccination at games, joining the New Orleans Saints. I know that this has been a perennial topic for us throughout training camp and something that's not going to go away, Mina. Um, what do you think's next year? Do you, is this going to become a trend with more stadiums across the NFL? I know that everyone's striving for that 85% mark and, and maybe to even get to 100%. I don't know how realistic that is. What do you think's next as far as the vaccination stuff goes? Yeah, I, I think the teams that you just mentioned are at the forefront of sort of where – other teams, other in the other stadiums are going, and where the country is going. Frankly, increasingly, you're hearing about you know various companies and other public spaces taking this approach because it works. And um, you know, I, I think it's a huge credit to Atlanta that they were able to reach that milestone. Probably speaks to the culture in the building, which is amazing, given that they have a new head coach and GM. And I, I expect we'll hear about other teams, not maybe not getting to 100, percent but getting very close very soon. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin. We're talking to Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst, also on the call for Rams preseason games, which has been so fun to watch. Speaking of the Raiders, by the way, at Megan underscore Hable, I appreciate her bringing this to my attention. The NBC LA headline for the Raiders requiring that. Uh, the headline reads, come with vax proof or get shot on site. I just, it works oh, for wow. the Raiders. It really works for the Raiders. Oh, yeah. Uh, really play it on the pun there. I believe they mean you can get vaccinated on site, but uh, clarity is <laughs> a suspect there on that one. Let's talk about the Rams really quickly. Uh, we all saw the really funny bit of you saying you were trying not to embarrass yourself in front of uh, – co-broadcaster Akib Talib, and you just randomly mentioned your pants. Uh, how is it going other than that, and how was it being in the booth with him? Uh, he's wonderful, and, uh, yeah, I definitely embarrassed myself in multiple ways in front of him. But um, it was fun to watch the the Rams and the Chargers, in particular, two teams not starting their starting quarterbacks, but had some fun, exciting young players on the field. In the Chargers case, Larry Roundtree, Josh Palmer, who was a draft pick I really loved, both flashing, and then with the Rams, um, tight end Jacob Harris, and then Tutu Atwell, who's the second overall picked, showed some of that incredible speed that they're hoping Matt Stafford can take advantage of in the fall. What do you think? I mean, a couple weeks ago when we were looking at, like, the L.A. sports scene, for example, and all of the moves that the Lakers made and then the Dodgers made, um, you know, their big acquisition to try to go get another World Series, it felt like at the time, this was kind of right as training camp was starting, that that was going to take some pressure off of the Rams and maybe take some pressure off of Matthew Stafford. But now that we're like three and a half weeks into training camp with, with all the injuries that happened to, to the run game with Cam Akers, where do you think things stand as far as the ceiling for this offense and the pressure to win now that they've got a new quarterback who they want to unleash and show that in the right system, he can be the guy? Yeah. Well, I think – that's, well, it's not Courtney, and that's why there's so much pressure, even more so than building a fan base with success, because obviously the Rams have had a lot, and both teams, by the way, the Chargers have 
a lot of excitement as well. They've had success, but to me, um, pressure comes from the trade. The fact that Sean McVay uh, basically, and, and Les Snead, the GM, said, you know, we are willing to put ourselves out there and do whatever it takes to upgrade at this position, give up our draft picks, doesn't matter. Uh, Matt Stafford, as you said, has to wants to prove that he can have success in the playoffs outside, of, you know, that Detroit really was what was holding him back in some ways. And um, I think everybody's kind of feeling it in L.A. I think this is an offense where the ceiling is very high, but there are some question marks. Obviously, the injury to Cam Akers hurts. There's not a ton of deaths on the offensive line. But if everything's clicking, um, I think they have the potential to be one of the top five offenses in the NFL. Awesome stuff, Mina. Thanks so much for jumping on. Congrats on Adams. Uh, feel free to congratulate me on what looks like an actual quarterback. I know it's early, but... Um, Why didn't you I, ask me about him? I, well, I you know, loved him. I'm so excited. I, yeah, I know oh, you don't want to... You loved him. The Bears show, all Bears all the time. Okay. Yeah, we did a lot of Justin Fields yesterday. I had a lot of trouble focusing on anything else after that after that game this weekend. Uh, but I appreciated oh, you immediately sending me uh, good quotes and good and good info about him during the game. Thanks for the time, Mina. Appreciate it. Bye, guys. Mina Kimes, she's the best. She's with us here on Spain and Fitz, brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, we're going camping. Going to check in on a team that made a QB change this offseason. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The preseason rolls on for the NFL. We're checking in with every team figuring out the big stories at camp. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. On ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's go camping. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. Yeah, that's right. We're going to hear that song 32 times before the season starts today. It was for the Panthers joining us from 730 at the game. ESPN Charlotte, Molly Cotton. Molly, thanks for coming back. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm surprised, but happy to be back with you. (laughs) Year two with uh, Coach Matt Rule. How do you feel about uh, the way camp has been and the way uh, conversations around his leadership have been uh, a year in now? Yeah, you know, I've been kind of pleasantly surprised with Matt Rule throughout training camp and, of course, that first preseason game. I was kind of underwhelmed at times from this coaching staff last year. In first year, of course, there was a lot of hype, a lot of expectations around Matt Rule and specifically Joe Brady, uh, but underwhelmed at times, and especially when it comes to game management. I think you look at this coaching staff and can certainly improve on that. But from the things that have Matt Rule have said about his players, just kind of the leadership and pointing to certain guys of maybe the don't have those vocal leaders in the locker room at this point I do feel like Matt Rule has set the tone really well um, in training camp with the DBO signs of don't beat ourselves whenever there's penalties whenever there's any type of problems on the field players are running touching that sign and coming back to the field some maybe think it's a little bit high school, but when you look at the penalties that they had last year, Matt Rule understanding the things that he needs to improve on as a head coach, that's only going to translate to improvement on the field for this football team. We've seen coaches who have college backgrounds fail at the NFL level because they try to make the college game be a part of an NFL locker room. And it feels like Rule with his Baylor experience and obviously going back before that, Uh, to the East Coast. It feels like he's brought a lot of that with him 
to Charlotte. How have players now entering year two bought into that, or is there still a little bit of hesitation with that? No, I think they really have bought into it, and I've been hesitant there with Matt Rule. Look, we're we're still early on in this tenure. I think a lot of things can change here uh, this season if things don't work out with Sam Darnold, and then you've got back-to-back years of kind of failed quarterbacks uh, from Teddy Bridgewater to Sam Darnold. But I think guys really have bought in, and I do feel like he can connect with these players that it's not too college or it's not too high school. And this is a different kind of era or chapter with the Carolina Panthers. We know it's no longer the Cam Newton or the Greg Olson and the Luke Keekleys or the Ryan Khalils and those guys that have been with that organization and in the locker room and so well known in the community, you have this youth movement now taking over for the Carolina Panthers. And the majority of these guys, a lot of these guys do feel like the, that Matt Rule tone, that, those Matt Rule guys. And so I do think he connects with these players, even the guys like Christian McCaffrey or Brian Burns who are here before him in, a, in an important way. We're talking to Molly Cotton of 730 The Game ESPN Charlotte here on Spain and Fitch as we go camping with the Panthers. Let's talk Sam Darnold. One of the biggest concerns there is just cutting down on mistakes. He's played 38 career games, has 39 interceptions and 20 fumbles. What have we been hearing about Darnold throughout camp and how he's managing to figure out if he is cutting back on some of those mistakes? Look, all things seem kind of so far so good with Sam Darnold. Now it's all about protecting Sam Darnold and keeping him upright, which does not feel so great for the Panthers' offensive line at this point. But even Matt Rule last week in the joint practice and throughout training camp says, Sam Darnold is the least of my worries. I think this is a guy who's come in. He's shown a different type of leadership. He knows the mistakes that he's made in the first few years of his career with the New York Jets. Now it's an organization that believes in you enough, believes Leaves you enough to bring in for on one year and make the trade that they did with the Jets and that change of scenery. I do think impacts Sam Darnold in a positive way, especially when you have a guy like Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator. But from all accounts, Sam Darnold has impressed early on throughout training camp. That's why I kind of wish we saw him in the first preseason game, but hoping you do at least get to see a little bit of him as the preseason goes along. It's fantasy football time, and there are probably a lot of people entering their drafts wondering what they should do with Christian McCaffrey. And I know he doesn't have this injury history, and he's 25 years old. It's not like there's been a long line of these things that lead you to question, okay, is his production going to decline? But how are the Panthers approaching this with their running back who was injured for most of last season? Are they trying to limit him? Are they trying to spell him more often? What would be the plan around McCaffrey this year? Yeah, I have to laugh every time a running back conversation comes up because it gets me going every time when we're talking a backup running back because we always want to get a little bit excited. They tease us a little bit in the preseason and training camp, and this one is Chuba Hubbard, who the Panthers did draft this past year in the NFL draft, but yet it's always Christian McCaffrey all the time in this Panthers offense, and I don't think injuries are a concern moving forward. As you said, there isn't that injury history. He's a durable running back, uh, but they and he is going to get beat up as being the running back on this team. So despite having other options like a Chuba Hubbard, that rookie, like Reggie Bonifant, who has impressed uh, early on in his career, he is a little banged up at the moment for the Carolina Panthers. I don't think that really matters because it's always going to be Christian McCaffrey, unless, of course, unfortunately, you do see a Chuba Hubbard or Reggie Bonifant because it probably does mean that Christian McCaffrey has gotten injured. I mean, even last year when you had Mike Davis step in for an injured CMC, 
look, he played well, and I think you're even criticizing sometimes the coaching staff of not seeing Mike Davis the way that you wanted to or as often as you would have liked in this Panthers offense. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz as we go camping with the Panthers. Molly Cotton of 730 The Game ESPN Charlotte with us. All right, I know it's early. I know a lot can change, but we're still getting season predictions from folks, and we have some sort of prize. We don't know what yet. Uh, But eventually, if we remember, which is also very questionable considering our follow-up on this show isn't always great, we will send a prize to the reporter who best estimates the season record for their team. What's your expectation for the Panthers? Uh, Look, you look at the NFC South. The Saints have lots of question marks. Falcons, I don't have a lot of expectations for. So I think Panthers, if Sam Darnold can come in and be better than Teddy Bridgewater and win some games for him rather than going 0-8 in one score game, feeling pretty good. I say this is a 7-win team. So I'll go 7-10 and for the Carolina Panthers this season. All right, it is in the books. You can't get any givebacks. We know that because Courtney is not allowed oh. to take back her prediction that the Vikings will go 10-7 and 7, no matter how much she wants to. <laughs> Molly, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Molly Molly Cotton with us here. By the way, uh, funny out of uh, Panthers camp, I remember seeing they have a sign, DBO, don't beat ourselves. And uh, Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's very college. Um, this is just a couple days ago that they still had it up, and after their Sunday game, they had 10 penalties and six false starts. So maybe a different sign uh, is necessary. They are beating themselves still, regardless of how much that – that sign is expected to change things for them. Um, that's an interesting team for sure. Sam Darnold and, and Teddy Bridgewater are like mirror images to me as as far as guys who have just had expectations and injuries have always prevented them from from figuring out just how good they might be. So I will always be rooting for both of those guys. We'll see what he can do for the Panthers this year. Coming up, we're going from Charlotte to Indy. We'll get the latest on Carson Wentz and what else is going on with the Colts as they get ready for week one. It's coming up on Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It is the one-year anniversary of Spain and Fitz take two. And Courtney Cronin is here to spend a romantic evening with me since Fitz isn't here. It's fitting, really. I missed our very first show when we were reunited last year on this day. And he misses this year. He might stop by later, though. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Let's go camping again. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. This edition takes us out to Indy, where Jim Aiello of the Indy Star, Colts insider and co-host of the Colts Cover 2 podcast, joins us. Jim, let's start with the obvious. Carson Wentz first was given a timetable of up to 12 weeks. Then they say he'll be ready for week one. And there are some concerns that that might be being pushed a little bit, both because, of course, he hates the reputation of being someone who's not healthy, also because Sam Ellinger is suddenly looking better than anyone expected, maybe the rumors about Phillip Rivers. Do you think there's a chance that they're moving too fast on this? Uh, no, honestly, I don't. I think I think maybe Carson Wentz wants to speed up the process a little bit because he does want to get back on the field. But Jim Irsay has made it pretty clear that the owner of the team that, that they really don't want him to get out on the field until he's 100%. They see Carson Wentz as their long-term solution at quarterback. They really do. That's how Frank Reich feels. 
That's how Chris Ballard feels, and that's how Jim Mersey feels. So they don't, they don't, they're not looking at two games, three games, four games as a huge deal because they see him as being their quarterback for the next two, three, four years, if not longer. So I don't think they're going to let him speed this up, um, even if he wanted to. So they're, they're going to make him take his time, make sure that he's 100% or as close to it as he can be. I mean, he's going to have to play through a little bit of pain. Um, I think that's just going to be part of the process is, okay, let's get to a, a part in this recovery where are you comfortable playing through a certain amount of pain, you know, as it fully heals. And eventually that pain will go away. But, no, I don't think, you know, I don't think he's hearing the footsteps of guys like Ellinger or Eason and, and, and hurrying things. I don't think the Colts would let him. We heard from Indianapolis head coach Frank Reich that they're at the two-week window right now for both uh, Quentin Nelson, who had the exact same injury, and for Carson mm-hmm. Wentz. But as it pertains to Wentz, like what's next? Like when is he going to get walkthrough reps? Are they talking timetable about when he's going to start getting eased back into things? Yeah, that's a great question. So he actually, so he was back at practice today, and they have talked about walkthroughs, and that's going to be the next step. That should be coming in the next few days. So initially, what they said was after two weeks you know, from the surgery, which is where we're at. That was, that was yesterday, two weeks out from the surgery. They would start to know he'd start to be able to do some things, maybe go through a couple of drills, do some walkthrough things and see where it's at. Okay. Where, where, how does it feel? Is there any setbacks? And, and again, right now, Frank Reich and the Colts are saying everything's gone exactly as they thought it would, you know, in terms of what they were hoping for. So the, the surgery went really well. He's been feeling really good. You saw him out there today. He actually kind of did a few like shuffle steps on his foot, didn't look like a guy who was in too much pain and, you know, was just getting antsy. You could see he, he was faking throws. He was moving around a bunch. This is a guy that really wants to get back on the field. It doesn't look like he's dealing with a lot of discomfort. So, as you said, walkthroughs are the next part of the step, and walkthroughs are, are a big deal to Frank, right, because a former quarterback. He knows how important they are, those mental reps that he wants his quarterbacks to take. And so if he's got Carson Wentz in there taking them, then then that means they think he's going to be close or can be close to returning. So, it doesn't sound like a big deal to go through walkthroughs, but it's something that Frank Reich puts a high value on. So it is a big deal for the Colts. It's Spain and Fitz, Jim Aiello of the Indy Star with us here on the Goodyear Hotline talking training camp for the Colts. And we talked briefly, we mentioned Quentin Nelson, who's, who's trying to make his return, but he's not the mm-hmm. only problem on the offensive line when it comes to health. Can it kind of run us through what they need to get back and who's currently hobbled? Yeah, so much. That's a, that's a, that's a list. Uh, Eric Fisher, um, everybody remembers him from Kansas City, a great left tackle, uh, but, but he's dealing with an Achilles injury. He tore his Achilles toward the end of last year. He's another guy that's been around practice quite a bit, looks pretty good walking around. At one point, Frank, a couple of days ago, Frank Reich was joking watching him run through drills, saying, hey, he'll get the pads on this guy. He's ready to go. But um, I don't think that they're expecting him for the first couple of weeks, so they have to fill that hole, and that's been a huge problem so far, honestly. The left tackle position has been very – Bad. I guess that's the only way to put it. I mean, the guys that they've brought in, Julian Davenport, Sam Tevy, Will Holden, none of them have looked great. The offensive coordinator today, Marcus Brady, said none of them have won the job outright, which they were hoping somebody would until Fisher returned. And none of the three of them have done a great job and looked very good. So they're still hoping one of those guys steps up. And then you have at left guard, you do have some um, some veterans there. Chris Reed has been playing really well for the Colts in camp, but you're waiting on Quentin Nelson. And then at center, again, they have some veteran backups that they like. Um, but Ryan Kelly has yet to return to practice after hyperextending his elbow a couple weeks ago. Now they're expecting him to return later this week, but that's not one of those injuries that's, you know, that goes away. You, you can, you can re-injure the elbow. So they do have injuries across the offensive line. And that's a huge worry because everybody knows what, what happened to Carson Wentz in Philadelphia last year was, you know, the weapons weren't as good as he had been accustomed to in Philly a couple of years, you know, when he was an MVP candidate and the offensive line, which was really talented, 
fell apart because of injury. So, and then that caused him to do a lot of things that were off script and out of schedule and kind of got his mechanics out of whack. And he was doing things that he maybe shouldn't have been doing. And obviously that ended up having a terrible season in Philadelphia and eventually leaving. So you don't want to see these things happening in before Carson Wentz gets back. They need to get this offensive line fixed and, and healthy. Lost in the mix of all of the rookie quarterback debuts uh, during preseason week one was Jacob Eason. He's a second-year quarterback, but it was his first game as a professional football mm-hmm. player. 15-21, uh, 183 yards. How has he looked in practice in terms of, like, the tempo and getting the ball out quicker? I know that, that was kind of a concern early on for him, but now three weeks into this thing, is he operating at a faster pace? Yeah, I mean, honestly, just today, I think we saw him operating at a quicker pace. And again, talking to Marcus Brady, the offensive coordinator, he, he was looking at the quarterback's coach, Scott Milanovic, today going, man, this guy looks like a little bit of a different guy than we saw the first couple weeks of camp. And he, they, they both believe that he got that like, game rep. He, he's never played in, in an NFL game before, preseason or otherwise, because there wasn't a preseason last year. So he got those live reps, and I think he looked around and went, oh, yeah, I can, I can do this. I, I, I have the talent to be here. And he didn't really have that confidence before. It's, it's hard to have that when you haven't really played. So he got in the game, played pretty well, made some really good throws. And today it just looked like he was a different guy. Like he was confident in what he was seeing the defense uh, from the defense and, and making quick decisions. Look, going from progression one to progression two to the check down and knowing exactly when he needs to get rid of the ball. I mean, there were so many times during camp for the first couple of weeks where he would do his three or five step drop and then hold the ball and double clutch and hitch and hitch and then throw. And, and, you know, everybody watching going, okay, well, that's a sack or that's an incomplete pass or he's got to throw that ball away. Today, you really didn't have many of those passes. He completed 12 of 16. One was a drop. He just looked like a different quarterback today. It had to be very encouraging for the Colts. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Jim Aiello of the Indy Star, also co-host of the Colts Cover 2 podcast about training camp over in Indy. Before we let you go, I always like to ask folks, is there something that you're talking about locally that we're not hearing nationally uh, that you think is is a bigger storyline than maybe people know as the season approaches? It's honestly just the other side of the ball. I mean, I think Carson Wentz has has dominated headlines, and then Sam Ellinger and Jacob Eason competing for, you know, the the backup job, and if Carson Wentz is gone. And and that's obviously a huge deal. And we talked about the offensive line, the big deal there too. But the defense has huge goals. It wants to be a 40-turnover defense, thinks it has the – finally it has the pass rushers when they drafted uh, Dio Adengbo and Quiddy Pay on the first and second rounds this year. They didn't really have – they had some decent edge rush last year, but it was older. It was Danico Autry. It was Justin Houston. Guys that were reliable but not impact players at that stage of their career. So they, they drafted some young guys. They really believe in the talent they both have. Um, and I think they think if they get the type of pass rush off the edges from those two, from a guy who's returning from an injury in Kamoko Ture, and a guy they're expecting, you know, kind of to, to blossom finally in his third year, Ben Banigou, that they will, um, that the defense can take that leap, help the secondary not have to cover as long. That was a big problem for them at the end of the year last year in particular, was that they, they just had asked the secondary to do a little too much, and they couldn't, they couldn't hold up. So I think if the defense gets the pass rush, that they're hoping they're going to get, they could be a top five defense, and that's the way they're talking. Awesome stuff, Jim. You got a season prediction. We need a 17-game number here, record. Yeah. God, I'm glad you said that because I'm sure I would have said 10-6 <laughs> or something like that. Um, I'm going to say – I'll say 11-6. and six. I really do believe this 11 team and six. Um, right. has, has that kind of talent. Again, it, it'll depend on the quarterback situation. So you ask me again in three weeks, and I might have a different answer. But if I believe <laughs> no, Carson wants no to be back backs. in the- in the first couple of weeks, yeah, 11 and 6. All right, we're sticking with that. Hey, thanks for the time, Jim. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks. Anytime. 
Tim Aiello on the Goodyear Hotline here on Spain and Fitz. Don't forget, tune into an NL Central battle tomorrow night as the Cardinals host the Brewers. Coverage begins at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coming up, a legend joined my podcast. We'll do a nod to the pod. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Hey, excellent work back there with the song. A lot of people don't know that this song was inspired by Billie Jean King. And that it is Elton's first R&B number one song. They counted it as R&B. So if you ever get the trivia question, what n- former number one R&B song was inspired by Billie Jean King? Here you go. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. You ask why it matters that we're playing that song. It's because it's uh, time for Nod to the Pod. And this week's guest is Billie Jean King. I cannot express to you how long Billie Jean King's bio is. Suffice it to say that it takes several minutes to read the shortened version. And the shortened version doesn't even mention that she played tennis. Okay? If you want to know how much she has accomplished, uh, the bio doesn't even mention tennis. And it just is every other thing she's done. Presidential Medal of Freedom and, uh, you know, founded the Women's Tennis Association, founded the Women's Sports Foundation, part owner of the Dodgers, the Sparks, Angel City FC, first woman to have a global team sports event named after her. All the things. And she's on my podcast this week. Here's a little taste of it. Something that I learned from her, remarkable things I learned about her from talking to her. Here's this week's Nod to the Pop. I had a terrible journey with my sexuality. It was terrible. It was like I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And now today when people come out, it's celebrated. I'm like, yay. I'm mm-hmm. so excited because finally it's okay. It wasn't okay. I mean, I got I got killed. I got lost all my sponsorship. I was called horrible. I was I lost a lot of money. I lost a lot of future money. That would not happen today. In fact, they probably would make money today. So because of it. And so I love it. You know, now I make money because I'm a lesbian sometimes. Because <laughs> well, we, we need someone from the LGBTQ community to come in and talk and do a conversation. And if you want to look at look at my journey versus uh, every, you know, each person's got their own journey, that it was terrible. And can you imagine the, the generations before me and the people, you know, shoulders I stand on? I can't. I just can't fathom how hard it must have been. I don't. Well, I want to ask you about that because I was reading that it, it wasn't even really your your choice, right? So, two things. You know, I was well. Here, 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 I'll tell you two things. I was outed, but before yeah. that, during the seventies, when I was trying to figure things out, I was told if I say one thing, we will not have a tour. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So when you're told you're not even going to have a women's professional tennis tour if you start to speak out, that's that's not just about me anymore. That right. is about all of us. So I had that as well coming at me. Uh, plus, the culture at the time was not very accepting. In fact, not at all. In fact, even the psychologist, psychiatry community uh, didn't say we we're okay until like about 75-ish, I think, in the book. Or 74, 75 in there. I've got it in my book. Um, so um, we weren't considered okie-dokie. We were considered like... Yeah. Something wasn't right or deviant. For more, please subscribe and listen to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain on your smart speaker or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, so, Courtney, I was amazed to discover not only was she outed by um, a girlfriend who tried to extort her, but also her decision alongside her husband to have an abortion when they got pregnant was revealed to a magazine 
by her husband as if it was part of a grand statement that she was making. And she had not intended or necessarily chosen to talk about it. So two massive controversial things in, in, in getting an abortion back in, in the 1970s and also in, in coming out uh, were not up to her. And for someone who is just so decades ahead of activism in terms of uh, creating the Women's Tennis Association, demanding equal pay, being on the front lines of fighting for trans acceptance back in the 70s, it was kind of shocking to me how much she was not in control of two very big stories and how difficult it was for her, in part because of what she just said there, that you know, she was she was told she would set back all of these things she was doing on behalf of big groups of people uh, if she was able, if she was willing to come out and and be, try to live her honest truth. Yeah, I mean, when she said, I wrote this down, I just like put like an exclamation point next to it that they will not have a tour if you speak out. So everyone else. It, on the you know professional women's tennis tour would have been affected by her decision to speak up. Can you imagine how awful yeah. she felt having to like hold that in? Like imagine in today's NFL, for example, you know when Carl Nassib came out earlier, right before training camp, and and we've talked about it and all of the things, you know the the support that he's received, the amount of awareness he's brought to the Trevor Project, um, and everything else. Like, can you imagine? the Raiders or any teams being like, you can't say anything. Otherwise we're going to either like cut you or, you know, we're not going to be able to play a season. That's just like unfathomable. Right. And I know it's well, a, I mean, it's a honestly, it kind of sounds like Baylor that. and Brittany Griner. And that wasn't very long ago. Correct. And I mean, yeah, so you bring up a good point. I don't, <sighs> that's frustrating because I yeah, didn't even think about incredibly. that until you brought that up because I just think huge team, football 53 guys on the roster and if one person were to come out and that would affect everyone else in terms of not being able to play that's just I can't compute that and I know this was 40 something years ago now it still is baffling to think about just how antiquated that belief was back then that that was going to somehow affect things to where they deserve not to play because she was going to speak her truth I don't understand it it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, a little nod to the pod, Billie Jean King on my podcast this week. Yeah, the story of her former lover who tried to extort her is so sad, in fact, because the judge ended up throwing the case out of court, blasted the woman for attempted extortion. Um, and in the first two months after the suit was filed, Billie Jean King lost half a million dollars in endorsements. A bunch of TV commercials were, were pulled. She lost a giant contract with sponsors. Um, she had a contract with something called Charleston hosiery that she lost. And the chief executive called him a slut in a letter when he fired her. She lost most of that future income, had to pay half a million in legal fees and had to just keep playing tennis at the age of 38 to make money on all the things that she lost merely for it being revealed that she was gay. She didn't even tell her mother she was gay till she was 51 years old. And you think about the ways that she was so ahead of the times on everything else and it just reminds you what a long fight it's been for so many people in the LGBTQ plus community. And she marvels and is so thankful that it's easier and better for so many people who come out now, though, of course, not all people. Um, it's a great conversation. We talk about a ton of stuff, including she was part of the original nine who have been inducted as a group into the Hall of Fame for tennis. They turned down the deals that were currently in existence in tennis, took a one-year deal to prove a point that eventually led to the creation of the Women's Tennis Association a couple years later. And equal pay decades ago, and Courtney, I think about how we're still fighting for even just the most basic respect 
in the NCAA who undervalues women's basketball tournament by $100 million a year, according to reports. And it was decades ago that Billie Jean King managed to get tennis equal pay. And that resulted in so much of the respect and interest in women's tennis on a par and an equal with men. So uh, she's just a legend. And I encourage everyone to listen to it and think about all the ways she was way ahead of her time. Uh, you look at someone like Naomi Osaka and the amount of money she makes, not just in the tennis court, but in endorsements, being the highest paid female athlete. That's a direct line right to Billie Jean King and everything she did. So go check it out. Coming up next, another fabulous woman, Game Changers. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. No Jason Fitz for our one-year anniversary of being reunited. Take two of Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in tonight on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We do expect a Fitz sighting, though. We're presented by Progressive Insurance And we'll continue to roll on tonight with a feature we love to do around here, Game Changers, talking to women working in predominantly male roles in the sports world, breaking down doors, opening up uh, spaces and places that women can now imagine themselves in. And we've got a great one with San Francisco Giants coach Alyssa Nacken. In the world of men's professional sports, many women are breaking through and making their mark. They're not going to be looking at him sideways. The reason why I take so much objection. He is literally running with the entire team. The NBA is actually facing backlash on both sides. Their stories are told here on Spain and Fitz. Time for this edition of Game Changers. So happy to be joined on the Goodyear Hotline by Alyssa Nacken. Pro baseball coach for the San Francisco Giants. First full-time female coach in MLB history. The first to coach on the field during a major league game. And before we get into any of that or your journey, we have to start with things that are most important. How's Chris Bryant? Does he miss me? Does he miss us? Does he talk about Chicago? How's he doing? (laughs) Chris is doing very well here. Um, I think he's very excited to be in San Francisco. I think Mm -hmm. he loved his time in Mm -hmm. Chicago. He's just felt a lot of love uh, throughout his career. So we have, an, we have an off day coming up in Chicago in the next few weeks. So I'm pretty sure he's excited to be back there. All right. Well, take care of him. Take care of our, take care of our boy. <laughs> oh, we will. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's a great addition to our clubhouse and our team. I bet. All right. Let's talk about how you got to that clubhouse and that team. You joined as an intern in 2014. You were a great uh, multi-sport athlete growing up, a softball star, all-pack coast softball conference team, all four years when you're playing at Sacramento State. Obviously, a big love of of softball, baseball. And when you got in as an intern, what was your end goal? Or what did you imagine would be the job that that internship would eventually lead to? Did you have your sights set on coaching? I didn't, honestly. And I actually didn't know what the you know that end goal was I remember sitting in an exit interview after my internship was coming to an end and they asked me if you could have anybody's job in this in this front office or in this organization like what what do you want to strive to be I remember saying you know I, I don't I don't see my job here yet you know I see a lot of different aspects of different roles that I like but I can't say that there's one job title that I want to have. I just didn't see it yet. Um, so it really wasn't until 2019 when we started to see some some shifts in, in the front office and in baseball operations and Gabe Kapler was hired that I started to see some opportunities to get out of the office and more onto the field. Um, so, you know, once those conversations started happening with Cap and Farhan and Scott Harris, that's really when my eyes started opening up to uh, something that I never really knew existed before. 
Um, I think it's silly to say I just didn't think that I could do this because I hadn't seen it before, but that's the honest truth. That's not silly at all. It's actually something I've had to say a lot in interviews about my job. Um, I grew Mm. up playing sports and loving sports, but there were just so few women when I came up that it didn't even occur to me that I could combine my love of performance and writing and being on camera and everything else. I just thought, oh, I'll be a, a, yeah. an actress or a comedian or something um, and leave the sports to the to the just, you know, the fun side when I'm not working. So it's not surprising that you wouldn't be able to necessarily picture yourself in some of those roles. But, you know, you you make your way up in baseball operations development for a while. You're working with the team's health and wellness uh, bouncing around a bunch of different roles. What was it that was really the pivot point? Um, and were you confident in your ability to make that leap or did it take some convincing? The pivot point, I think, for me was in 2019. You know, I was approaching about four and a half years in, in the role that I was in. And, you know, I, I just really didn't see a, a clear path upward. And I really start to think, you know, I need to. Um, start looking for, for, you know, my next step and taking a bigger step and uh, in developing my skills. And then, you know, Bruce Bochy announced his retirement at the start of 2019. And so that's really when I started to go around and, and knock on different executives' doors of the front office and really just ask to, about you know, their journeys and then also what they thought the future of the Giants was going to be I didn't want to leave the Giants. I didn't want to leave baseball, but I, I just honestly couldn't find out what that next step was. And so, you know, for about nine months or so, I was just having these sort of casual, like informational interviews with the executives that I was around and just learned a lot about what they thought the future of the organization was going to be and some of the, the changes we could expect to see come um, come 2020. And, you know, sure enough, Gabe Kapler gets hired and he starts to put together his, his staff. And his goal of his next coaching staff was going to be one that is filled with people of diverse perspectives. And to answer the question about being confident in taking that next step, quite honestly, uh, no, like individually, I just wasn't confident, but I felt so confident and trustworthy in Cap and his leadership and the staff that he was building that I knew that I could, I could do this and I could build confidence as time went on. And that that's exactly what I was looking for, even though I didn't know that's what I was looking for. I was looking for something that was going to challenge me in, in all areas of, of my career. And, and that's what I found. We're talking to San Francisco Giants coach Alyssa Nacken here, Game Changers on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain on ESPN Radio. I know you're in uniform, but there is a maximum of coaches allowed in the dugout. So where do you watch the games from typically? I'm down in the cage uh, helping our pinch hitters get ready for their potential at-bats in the game. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're down in the cage. I'm with our director of hitting and assistant hitting coach in there just looking at potential matchups that, that we could uh, – potentially see in the game and getting our guys ready what's an average day like for you I guess with the baseball season underway you don't get a lot of off days in that sport so let's go with a game day a game day uh yeah so get here pretty early um between 11 45 and 12 15 and usually take take an hour or so to just get settled in whether that's a workout or catching up on, on calls or anything kind of like personally related and and really start to prepare for for that night's game, and then also 
look ahead to the next series. So we're constantly trying to just look ahead and stay prepared. So I'm usually analyzing the opposing pitchers that we're going to face in the, in the series ahead. And then at home games, we, we have a chance to get a lot of early work in. So we'll take different, uh, different guys out there to work on, on defense or base running or even hitting. And so we're out on the field a lot uh, at home games and, you know, before you know it, it it's game time. And um, then we kind of hang around just a little bit after the game and go to sleep, turn around, come back, do it again. That's awesome. I mean, you really got to love the game. You really got to love the game, especially yeah. I'd say in baseball more so than almost anything else. Alyssa Nackett is with us here for Game Changers on Spain and Fitch, pro baseball coach for the San Francisco Giants, hanging out with my, my buddy Chris Bryant day in and day out. How were the players at, at, in general um, at recognizing that you were a part of this coaching staff, no different than anyone else? That, that's actually exactly how I felt since day one. I just feel I'm part of the coaching staff and, and nothing else. You know, they, they've been, uh, since day one, I've just felt so respected by everyone here, all of the guys here. And it's been uh, just a really great, great thing to experience going into it before spring training of 2020 I was a little bit hesitant like oh man I, I don't know how am I what am I supposed to do how am I supposed to be and and then I just showed up as Alyssa Nacken and that's that's all I've ever been since I haven't tried to be somebody that I'm not I haven't tried to be a type of coach that I'm not and you know the guys have been so respectful of of me and we have really good relationships and it's been quite a quite a journey with this crew it's been pretty incredible in the last couple of years how many women have stepped into coaching roles, pitching, hitting coaches, et cetera. Is there a sort of – I'm, I'm picturing the world's best group chat or like WhatsApp for all of the ladies and the coaching. Uh, is there a communication and a, and a relationship there with a lot of you? Yeah, there is. There's actually uh, – there's a pretty large uh, WhatsApp group chat that's, that takes place. Uh, it was started it. last year. Um, I think during, you know, the COVID shutdown and so every once in a while we'll hop on Zooms or phone calls and just check in with each other and talk about things going on across all, all organizations and throughout the league in general. Uh, it's a pretty great, it's a really great support group and also just a great opportunity to hear what, what's going on in, with other teams and where other ladies are in their careers. Yeah, I mean, I just imagine it's it's so much fun to have people to share that with, too. It's nice to be the first. It's great to have your name in the books, but it's even better to have a support system around you and to know that there's influence trickling down to all the other young ladies who are, are really interested in the sport and, and a potential future. Now you're setting that example that you yourself uh, didn't have. It's really fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us some time. Loved hearing from you, and um, say hey to, to KB from everyone here in Chicago. <laughs> I certainly will. Thanks so much for having me. San Francisco Giants coach Alyssa Nacken with us there for Game Changers here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. Don't forget, tune in to That's What She Said, a podcast hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Billie Jean King this week on the pod. Check it out. Coming up next, my long-lost anniversary partner hopefully makes an appearance. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Check, check, check. One, two, one, two. Microphone check. Oh, hi, friends. 
It's Spain and Fitz. I wasn't ready for that. Oh, <laughs> we have started completely unprofessionally. <laughs> anniversary i love this show sarah spain she does that weird thing where she like randomly has a foreign accent sometimes like what do you think about it jason fitz he's not here he's not here I've seen him. you missed our anniversary i thought we were in like an open relationship uh-uh. My bad. yeah if you listen to the show regularly enough you're really not surprised that fitz would be cheating on me even on our anniversary thankfully courtney cronin has been here all night to wipe away my tears but i i i'm catching a scent of cheeto dusted fingers and mountain dew is that is that fitz on a road trip by god it is jason fitz arrives for his anniversary show right on time what's up buddy Hey, you didn't think I would miss this. I mean, I, I'm, I did, I'm actually, not dumb. Yeah. I got to make sure that I say happy anniversary. Come on now. <laughs> what are you doing right now? I am in the car. I left Nashville at 3 a.m. And I am almost to Connecticut. That's how long this is. It's been, it's been a drive. Uh, Annabelle and I are just trucking on to Connecticut. So uh, it, it's, been, it's, it's been a doozy of a day. But you would be proud, Sarah. I have had almonds and i have had water and wow. i have had uh just black coffee uh and uh, a couple of protein bars a couple of quest bars and uh yeah yeah everything's been super healthy uh, although i will say the unfortunate part is you know how often i have to pee i've peed in a lot of cups a lot of cups oh, God. i mean they're just, don't, don't trust any of the cups there <laughs> don't trust any cups i mean I mean, I, uh, I, I'm not going to follow up because we know, Courtney, do you know that Jason Fitz, throughout his years as a touring musician, would go into bathrooms all over, and that includes ESPN Radio out in Bristol, on tour, at stadiums, on buses, in socks. No shoes. Socks. Imagine. I mean, sometimes, sometimes shoes are just constricting on your feet, so you're just sitting there, you're getting comfy, and then you realize you got to tickle, so you just run in and you know you tickle and then you, you get back to back to what you were doing like they don't need to put shoes on for that well i mean but then you gotta like put the shoes back on and like once the shoes are off your feet are kind of comfy right and then you might not be able to feel the urine as it soaks through the very thin layer of fabric covering your feet if you, you know what shoes I, on, I hear you that you don't like the adventure urine. the way i like adventure. <laughs> i mean that, that's what i'm hearing out of all this <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty standard. Pretty standard. Also, Courtney started tonight's show without any power, so I guess that's how things work around the co-hosts. Loss of power, uh, failing septic systems. Uh, it's always something that's going to throw a wrench in the plans right before the show starts. Yeah, a lightning strike with a neighbor's house that leaves me tasting metal for hours on yeah. end. I mean, it's an adventure. St. <laughs> Fitz is always an adventure. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, Fitz Lightning, I believe, was the new name for you. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin, yeah. filling in for Fitz. But he's also here on a lengthy road trip. I appreciate you trying to incorporate the healthy habits 
Uh, you've been on vacation for a little bit. Uh, tell us, you know, some highlights. Have you gone anywhere or done anything or just sat around? Uh, yeah, no and no. I just sat around <laughs> and, uh, and and did nothing. Like, you know, I'm at that spot where I'm, I know how crazy, you know, the fall's about to be with uh, college football and, uh, you know, and us and, and then everything that's going on digitally. So, like, I knew that I was about to hit the uh, just the, the absolute workload. So there's just a moment for me where I say, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna force myself to do nothing for as many days as possible." And every time I felt like you know the world was clearing up and it's like, "Oh, I can do something now," then you have this this moment where you realize, "No, you can't," because you know, it's just not you can't put yourself at risk right before the season starts. So I just decided that I was gonna hunker down and uh, you know watch a bunch of binge watch a bunch of old 80s shows and try and just uh, veg out, do nothing. So it just been All right, details. Quite what shows? Yeah. What shows? Uh, Fraggle Rock was a good one for me. Yes. Uh, Stay by the Bell has been a good one for okay. me. Um, I went back, uh, SpongeBob, got some old SpongeBob out, out of the way. That was good. Um, DuckTales was good. Um, so I, I feel good about that. Uh, a lot of cartoons I'm finding out yeah. in this. Uh, nice. Didn't really feel like it in the moment, but. I'm realizing I'm a I'm a total child. Yeah, that's basically all I did <laughs> was you know realizing. I took my I took my Flintstone vitamins first thing in the morning and just bed oh uh, for the day. Worked out. I worked out every day though, Sarah. Like I'm taking care of myself. I'm ready. I'm ready for the season. I am rock hard and ready to go. Okay. Wow. That is unfortunate. What you just said, and that is going to come back to haunt you over and over again. You know, We're minute, in the middle the of a whacking came out montage. Of my mouth, I was like that's. <laughs> That's that you know I I meant like I meant like push ups and yeah, and, and chin ups. Yeah. I know what you meant. You've been talking about your cup size going up with all your workouts, and somehow you made it even weirder this time when you talked about it. <laughs> it's I, uh, I, yeah, I realized my mistake. My mistake is in big trouble because that is coming back around over and over again. Uh, hey, we're gonna let you go in a minute, but I wanted to ask. You just mentioned it is the right time for you to take a little That's break fair. because. You um, you are about to embark on quite a busy season for you, which is football. Tell everybody where they can find you in all the various places. Well, uh, there will be the college football show uh, starts in a couple of weeks, and that's our digital show Saturday night. Me and Harry Douglas will do that. We'll also do the college football wrap-up show. So we have two shows on Saturday night. Um, we'll be debuting a new show this fall. That's the weekend preview show, and that's me and Gary Streisky. Marty Smith on Fridays um, doing some work together. Uh, so that'll be pretty cool. Also digitally. Um, and then as we get into Monday Night Football, the Monday Night Football tailgate show with Field Yates will be coming back. Uh, I'll be doing some work with Bet uh, on the weekends also around uh, the NFL. So, yeah, it, it's going to be crazy. And then once we get to rankings, reaction, and Heisman season, we'll add even more uh, digitally there. So uh, there'll be there'll be a solid eight or nine shows a week uh, digitally that everybody can check out. And uh, and then, you know, we'll just keep crushing it all fall. And yeah, Sarah, I and, will uh, say in a moment of sincerity, it has been amazing to be reunited. And it's been really awesome that we've done a show consistently that I'm really proud of. And we cover you, we cover Fitz. a lot of stuff really well. We and do. It's a glorious time to get to work with you. And shout out to our loyalist fans, Untouchable Kaz, Angry Bears fan, Dadman, Asom, Gale. There are plenty others, but it's been a really fun year being reunited with you, Fitz. And I hope to see you every once in a while in the fall. Sounds like not often. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance at Progressive. They're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Happy anniversary, Fitz. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are coming up next. See ya. (laughs) Ha ha ha!
Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.